Welcome everyone to Eureka Thinker Talk, where we chat with thinkers who are turning ideas into reality. This show is powered by Baron Fig, a company making tools for thinkers. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and today I'm here with Julian Smith, founder and CEO of Practice, founding CEO in, of Breather, and New York Times bestselling author. Julian, welcome, my man. Thank you. I'm so excited. First of all, thank you. It's a great bio. And I'm wearing headphones, which I'm honestly so excited about. It makes me feel like I'm 20 again. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, <laughs> speaking about when you're 20 again, you know what? I have to say, I only know you from the breather days mm. and doing the, the research for this show. I mean, I knew you, you, you've written a few awesome books as well. I did not know that you were like in the pioneer of podcasting. And yeah. I, mm. you talked about that on... Uh, I think it was Chase Jarvis's show where I, where I listened to that, um, who I've interviewed as well. Such a great guy. Mm -hmm. um, can you, why don't we start there? How, how did the whole podcasting scene start for you? Okay. So, I mean, when the podcasting seems so funny, right? Because we, it, we see it now, uh, you know, gigantic deals with Spotify happening with the likes of Joe Rogan and does Howard Stern have a podcast? Maybe, I don't know, but you know, that, that, yeah. that caliber of, of person. Um, the, the idea, just like with any platform at the time, this is 2004. So to give you, we go way back to give you a sense of context. Like I'm 20, I guess I must be 24 at that time. Right. Yeah. And so what happens is I am vegan randomly because I'm trying that out for a year and someone I know on a mailing list says, I'm starting a podcast about veganism. And it was a, it was a, an author of a known author of books in that space. And I was like, what is this? And for some reason, I happen to have a sunflower iMac, you know, that iMac that looks like a bubble yeah. at the bottom and where you could move this, you could move the screen. It was beautiful iMac. And, uh, and it, because the screen was separate from the machine, the, the screen had the microphone in it and it was incredibly quiet. And so mm. I didn't have a microphone and I didn't have anything. And I said, well, let's see if I can record this. Had I had any number of other computers, it would have like word like the devil. And I yeah. would have immediately given up on that. But instead, what happened is just like, uh, like, like what we call kismet maybe, or like, I don't know, synergy or something. A moment occurred because years ago I had done radio, radio commercials as a kid. I had been like on college radio and other things like that. And so I started a show called In Over Your Head, which was, uh, embarrassingly, the first hip-hop podcast in the world. I was listening to a lot of independent hip-hop at the time. And it was me shouting, like kind of angry. And within 12 months, I got a deal with Sirius Satellite Radio. And my show was broadcast actually next to Howard Stern on the next uh, wow. channel on the dial or whatever. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that didn't happen to everybody, but for a few of us that did happen to us, cause that was the very beginning of this blossoming movement. And, uh, and that's how I kind of got my start on the internet. It was an exciting time and it was a real wild West. It still feels a little bit like a wild West in different places, not yeah. podcasting, but in 2004, uh, you really, you had to put it together. It feels like that's the era of CB radio a little bit. Yeah. And did you, so w when all that started to happen was like, what was the thought process on your side? Was it, I'm going to, this is it. Like, this is what I'm doing. I, so everybody was looking for audience. There was a show started by an MTV VJ 
who was called Adam Curry, who was like really famous in Europe. He was literally, but, but also famous for being an MTV VJ in the eighties when he had, when MTV had just started. And so he was really well known and he started a podcast and it was like this big deal because it was like the first time that you could connect uh, RSS, which is a, a technology for syndication into an actual MP3 file. You could actually get it to download something onto your iPod and what would happen at the time is, is it would there'd be an auto download overnight because these would be huge files at the time. Yeah. And you would wake up and in most people, they would get into their car and they would listen to the daily source code or, you know, a Dawn and Drew show. These are all real shows where they'd listen to my show. And, uh, and so that was transformational. Someone offers me a gig. I put ads on my show. They go, oh, you could be on the, you do it this number of times. And I'm like, I'm going to quit that my job. Like I'm going to do it immediately. Yeah. Immediately, it's like, I'm, I'm doing this. And, and so, I mean, we're 2021, right. And podcasting is still kind of growing. Yeah. But, but it, 2004, we just thought it was going to just explode and everybody was going to do this, but it just wasn't the right time for lots of people. Gratefully, it was the right time for me. I quit my job. I got a little bit of money. I found ways to turn that into a whole other story for some other time. I find ways to turn that into more income over time. And I, I started making more than my day job really okay. fast, a lot more, actually. And, okay. and I was like, whoa, what the hell is happening? And this is the first time in the world, for me, for my world, it's brought up in French part of Canada, right? Uh, French yeah. is my first language. doesn't sound like it, but it is. And I was hitting up against boundaries that were not local boundaries that were international, like big American boundaries, which is huge to me, with big audiences, actual dollars coming into my account that were not connected to hours that I spent doing things. So it's transformational at that time. And for a few people, and if you go way back, you can still find people and like Matt Galligan, a few other people that are kind of known on Twitter, that we all started together during that phase. Wow. What? So what was the... What was like the eureka moment to to leave that and move? Then is that when you started writing? It, so the, because podcasting had begun right then, my website was largely a place for me to put my shows. Okay, and then then it, it but it was in a blog format because that's just like what you did. And then yeah. I was like, well, I'll also write and. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, I, I gotta tell you, I'm thinking back on it, Mark. And like, it's like so many, I think in tech, especially you encounter a lot of opportunities, a lot, but you miss a bunch of them for the most part, unless you happen to be like, Oh, I was in the bathroom, like talking to that guy and he was doing that yeah. deal. And so that's how things happen in tech because it's, it's fast. It's crazy. And so what happened to me is, is I wrote a, an ebook talking about how to build trust online. Twitter had just like been created in 2006. I was one of the first 10,000 people on Twitter. And we wrote an ebook about how to build trust. And that became kind of a known ebook. And then it was published yeah. by a big publisher and it became a New York Times bestseller. And so keep in mind, agent, like, right? I work at, yes, yeah, it's called Trust Agents. And the 10th edition uh, just got published. Keep in mind, I, my, my job before is at a call center. Okay. So that's where I worked. And I went call center, podcasting, serious satellite radio, author, New York Times bestseller, 
speaking on a stage in front of 10,000 people at marketing events from the age of 24 to 28. I wish I could recreate that trajectory. That's like so fast, but it's, it, it's so fast because it started kind of pretty humbly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a wild. I mean, that's what I said. Like I, I mean, I've, when I was living in Montreal, I mean, it's hard not to know uh, of you and the work, uh, especially being in Montreal and then obviously everything you're doing internationally, but I didn't know all of this backstory and mm-hmm. I was just fascinated. Uh, so thanks for sharing uh, the details. It is, it's, it's nice to feel uh, it, you to see, to expose it. Cause then you're like, Oh, like things don't just happen magically. Like you yeah. just, you just need to be working all the time, you know? Yeah. And so it might, it might feel like, oh, where'd this guy come out, come from, come out of the woodwork or something. But actually, like, he's been busting his ass doing things for five, ten years before. Yeah, like podcasts in 2004. I mean, <laughs> for most people, that's not even a, a thought. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so then how did you, as we're getting closer to, to the work you're doing now, I mean, I still feel like there's a big jump from podcasting and writing. And mm-hmm. from what I understand... You know, you had a, a pretty decent writing career, let's let's say, and speaking mm-hmm. like linked to that. From that going to, all right, well, let's 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 pick another easy space mm-hmm. and just create a, a tech <laughs> or, or, or a brand new company and like now yeah. a tech company. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess yeah, Breather is essentially a tech company as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, like how did those transitions? Maybe it's not a transition. How did you evolve into those those places? So, I mean, grabbing onto podcasting early on is just grabbing of like a, a phenomenon as it's getting a lot of traction. What, what maybe some person might call like a huge market expansion that's happening, right? Where something didn't yeah. exist and you grab onto it and you're just like, you're kind of like holding onto the dragon. Yeah. And the dragon is just flying away and you're like, I got to stay on this thing. And so I think what I'm pretty good at is capturing spots when trends are occurring and things are changing. And so it just happened to be the case. Uh, people were obsessed with social networks in 2000, I guess, nine or eight or sorry. No. Yeah. Is that, no, excuse me. I'm, I'm mistiming myself. That was the first book. Breather started around 2012, 13. Okay. And so I, when that was happening, I was kind of like looking at it. I was like, Hmm, this is interesting. A lot of digital stuff, a lot of kind of social stuff, I should do antisocial and I should do real world. What would that look like? Mm. And at the mo- at that time, electronic locks had just kind of like come out on the market on Kickstarter. They were a huge mess, but the, uh, but the, the magic of it at the time was on your phone. It's something you take for granted. Maybe now a lot of people do you press a button and your door, your front door unlocks so yeah. that you can actually like open the door for a delivery dude or your, like your dog walker or something. Yeah. And so in my mind, I'm like, that's kind of interesting, sort of. But what if you could open like a lot of spaces? How many spaces could you open? And <laughs> yeah, so and so question. as I develop this idea, I'm like, wow, you could open like any space. So if you had access to a network that would open like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of doors, like what could that be? And I had no idea what that could be. But that sounded a lot more interesting than like writing another marketing book at that time, it still sounds pretty more interesting than writing another marketing book. Uh, and so while writing has turned out to be really effective for me, I'm really grateful that like flinch, for example, at one of my, my second book after trust agents still has a crazy legacy. People writing, like people talking about it, right, right. Uh, reading it every year, 
getting into groups to write, to read it together, uh, writing, uh, doing videos about it, like all these crazy things. Uh, at that time, I also felt like I probably can't write a better book than that. Like that book is really good. <laughs> and I'm daunted a little bit by this idea of publishing another one and another one, another one. And so I, I've never started a company at this time. Not really. Yeah. Uh, but that had never stopped me before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I was really intimidated, but I knew I had to raise money and, and I was able to talk to some people and, and uh, Gary Vaynerchuk was actually my first investor. I remember where I was. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I, when I talked to him, I was in the back of an Uber. I was lying down. I felt terrible. It's kind of a fun story. I felt terrible. I'm like, I feel sick, but I've got an appointment in my calendar with Gary to call him. So I call him and, uh, and I'm like, Hey dude, you know, you could maybe advise or something. He goes, I can't, I don't have time to advise, but I'll gladly give you like 25 K here, 25 K. And just like on the phone <laughs> like that really fast. But Gary and I have known each, I've known each other for a while Yeah. in the back. I'm still lying down. I finished the phone call. I go to the Uber driver and I'm like, Hey, listen, I'm sorry. I'm lying down. I just like feel terrible. We're, we're like circling Manhattan at this point. Okay. And and he goes to me, sir, while you're in my car, you're a prince and you can do whatever you want. And I was like, this Carry is amazing. On. This is amazing. So anyway, so I raised a million and a half dollars. Eventually, Breeder eventually during my tenure as CEO raised over 150 million. And, yeah. uh, but that, that's a process of, uh, once again, I think catching on to something when a trend is beginning and being able to say, huh, this is something and let's see what we can do with this. And that's really, yeah. I think the, if, if, if I can be said to have any talent, that would be the one that I really think that I can, uh, I can, I turn opportunities. Well, I find opportunities and then I can sell into them and I can create stuff that's interesting inside of them. Okay. Two questions. Uh, and then we'll move on from, from breather, but just, well, first of all, maybe one line for people that don't know what breather is. Hmm. Um, and then second, I would love to know your th thought process in these early stages. Cause I mean, this, this shows, uh, you know, really geared towards thinkers. And I mean, I'm hmm. already writing down really great questions that you're leaving, but at the beginning times when you're seeing, you know, things like these locks coming onto the market, like do you sit down with a notebook and hmm. just start writing things. Do you take walks. Like wh what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's a lot of stuff that sits in the back of your brain until you have an aha moment. And, and that's, that's again, the thing with tech, like you're going to have an aha moment in one place while there's like nine others occurring elsewhere that you didn't see. And so mm. I think absorbing a lot of information is really valuable there. I was thinking about space and, and I had done the kind of the, a, fine, a very basic, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, financial model on a space and what it would look like. In my mind, it was bigger. There were like employees inside. I was like, this is crazy. I'm sitting in a bar at the time waiting for a friend of mine in San Francisco. And I, I just pitched like Google Ventures. It was very clear that what I was pitching was not working. And, and I'm like, but okay, what? Well, that's really interesting though. The employees are the most expensive part as I do the math. I'm like, how could I bring this space to zero employees? Okay. That's a crazy idea. So how could I get zero employees in the space? So I didn't have anyone to pay. Yeah. And so that's, this, this is the moment where I'm like, how could I do that? Well, I mean, who would open the door? Like you can't just leave the door open. And this is where everything kind of, kind of like 
X marks a spot and I'm like, oh, okay. You can actually, hold on, these locks, I'd seen them over here. And I, you can actually have space and you could open it with it. And I'd been to like, I don't know, I was really interested in Zen at that time. Yeah. And I'd noticed over and over and over again, you would go to like Zen centers and I'd spent a bunch of time in Japan in a Zen monastery. Yeah. And so I would go to Zen centers in like New York and in Montreal and a bunch of other places, but I would notice they'd only be open like one or two hours a day. Mm. And I was like, why? It's crazy. <laughs> I'm not going in there to steal something. I just want to go and like sit down and like meditate. I also had not had offices really as a solo entrepreneur. So my experience was, uh, my experience was being in cafes and using that as offices. So when yeah. you take no office and you combine that with like every, every door is locked and you combine that with like, I want no employees in the space and I want everybody to be able to access it anyway, somehow it all kind of, it gels together. But the way that you recreate that, if you want to try and recreate it, is you expose yourself to tons of information. And yeah. one of the mistakes that people sometimes make is they say, oh, uh, okay, like cryptocurrency is super hot. I'm going to start a cryptocurrency company. If something is hot, it is probably already too late. Maybe not. But often you need to look for things that are like discarded. Because the more discarded something looks, the less people are competing in that space. Right. So yeah. it's a, it's a funny balance. So fascinating. I mean, I definitely have questions, uh, on the mental fitness side of things. So I'll, I'll save that for the end. Cause I, I mean, you mentioned Zen obviously, but I mean, to, to be able to make those connections, I, this is a personal bias. I mean, I think there's some work there that allows for those connections to be made so that it's not all buried with all the noise and stuff like that. And I know mm. you have pretty solid morning practices and whatnot. So, uh, we can get to those, but so breather then you, you spend a good amount of time over there, do a lot of rounds in the Uber in uh, Manhattan, raising money. <laughs> <laughs> All in the um, back of actually. Yeah. Laying down. Um, and then now we've got practice, mm -hmm. which feels like one of those moments again. I mean, as someone that is pretty personally invested in, in uh, mental fitness and like the coaching involved with that, uh, I see like the gaps in, in that space or this space. How did, how did practice come about? And for, I guess, first of all, you know, mm -hmm. what is it? Yeah. So, I mean, so, uh, for those, for those people that had, no, had never heard of breather and what it is, it became ultimately like a meeting and office space company that is yeah. really uh, sort of, uh, controlled by technology in the background. Right. Yeah. And so you could open meeting rooms in like dozens and dozens and dozens of cities, on demand for like two hours, the craziest thing that anyone had possibly come up with at the time. Uh, lots of people poked holes into it uh, at that time. Nonetheless, we got to the other side. It became this crazy, remarkable yeah. idea that lots of people thought, well, why, does this, why doesn't this exist? Or why, How many why countries did, is, is it in right now? Breather, I mean, we mostly, we, you can, the actual answer is you can actually focus inside of cities mm -hmm. very deeply. And so you actually don't need to be, we're not in many countries more than when I was CEO, but you don't need to be in order to really create a good company. The reality is, is a density of real estate and density in buildings yeah. is so vast, right? Like yeah. we would look around, walk around Manhattan and be like, there could be one in every building. Yeah. And you would just think about the crazy. And so now when I started and I'm CEO of practice with some of the people from Breather that I really love to work with that we're working with again. We talked about a lot about solo entrepreneurship 
and specifically coaching, because coaches, pe- coaches are the people that, first of all, it's this incredible infinite niche that nobody knows about. Yesterday, I was yeah. talking to a coach who specifically works only with hair salons. And so he was telling me about the stats for hair salons. He's like, I'm like, he goes, what percentage of hair salons are profitable? The answer is 5%. I was like, what? He goes, what percentage are break even? 15%. So 20% of all hair salons, all hair salons, must be anything from like one seat to 20 seats, are breaking even or better. The rest, 80% are losing money. And he knows this because his wife ran a hair salon and later he ran a hair salon. And so you start this business where you're like, I'm going to make your hair salon more profitable, which is, and so you have this in every industry. My father was a career coach. And so for 40 years I was in that space. And now I, I'm an exec coach to first time CEOs. Okay. And so it's, it's just really fascinating the way that teaching a skill around an industry or around a space or around an interest has become something that we kind of don't think about how uh, how ineffectively it is done. Another example recently that I came across, uh, I was talking to one of our clients is like, I'm like, but you're a you're a, a dog trainer. Like, why are you why are you using our software? Like, why why does that is that compelling to you? She goes, you think that I train dogs, but I don't. I actually coach people on how to deal with dogs and how to get the dogs to pay attention to them. And another one, literally this happened the same week, which was like a couple of weeks ago. I talked to a doula, which is a, a midwife, a word for yeah. a midwife. And so I say, why are you, why are you using our software? All these people are paying customers, by the way. Yeah. And, and I, and, and she goes, it's because I am a coach for a specific period in a person's life, a specific, whatever number of months period where I coach people and I help them handle this unique once in a lifetime or a few times in their life thing that they're dealing with. And it mostly has been forgotten in terms of like how it's passed from uh, one person to another. And so it's just like a really fascinating way to look at solo entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. with with a lens that I personally like because of my background and because I've been surrounded by coaches my whole life to be able to like really delve into how to help uh, coaches. And then beyond that, consultants, all of the talking professions, and then eventually all solo entrepreneurs. Okay. And, and I think that what's happening is, is beyond the Shopify's and beyond the companies that are serving gigantic corporations, I'm really interested in the first form of entrepreneurship that you ever encounter. Like when you're selling like lawn care services and you're a 16, 16 year old kid, like the first time that you ever sell anything, like what are you doing that with Yeah, and how to facilitate that as much as possible. And that's what we're working on today. And did you have that or what did it look like that? Did you have that like bar scenario where mm-hmm. again, the locks and the opening of doors and all of that all kind of came together? Did you have something similar uh, in this situation? We had a moment where we realized that everything is done in an old fashioned sense. That's kind of how you think about it in tech. In tech, you're like, wow, this is really messy. This is the, the, the polite word for it is messy. And, yeah. uh, and so you look at a space and you're like, what, why does it work this way? And we, we had worked with coaches our entire lives that had built like Excel spreadsheets and was setting Excel spreadsheets back and forth. 
And we knew that it could be very, very effective if we could create like messaging platforms for them and ways for them to check off things between them and their clients. And so we were using this software. We we're like, wow, this is super interesting the way that you could do this. You could actually make a person's solo entrepreneurship like life incredibly like more profitable than it is today, which would be game changing for people that have no employees, have no administrative assistance, that you know, a whole company typically has what marketing, finance, product, you know, all of these different functions. But in reality, when you don't have a, a team of people like that, you're just one person. You still have to fulfill all those functions. Yeah, totally. And and we have no tools to do that, or we have 20. And so that's the opportunity that we really saw. Okay. Gotcha. I love it. I mean, I, I've, as you know, obviously have, I've used it, uh, mm. in, in the beta version. Uh, and it was just, it's definitely filling a hole. There's, there's, I, I think what resonates for me, you just mentioned it. There's like 30 solutions out there that have pieces all over the place and you're, you know, you're all over the place. You're in Trello, you're in, mm-hmm. you know, 15 different invoicing apps and then you've got this notes app and this booking software i mean mm-hmm. you're it's just not efficient and you take it for granted you take it for granted that it's kind of like you're not going to be treated well you know like there's yeah. like there's you know there's like a business line for customer service people uh, when you have a mobile phone but you're you have a business account and yeah. then if you're not in one of those you're like well i guess i'm in the back and you're just like, I'm going to wait to get served. I'm clearly like a low, a small fry to this company. And so yeah. similarly, software is always like that. Software is like, oh, yeah, forget about these people. We got to serve these gigantic customers. And so I'm really fascinated by this idea of making really excellent, simple software for people that just want something good and in aggregate make an incredibly powerful set of people but for the most part, are just kind of like wondering on their own when they're going to get taken care of and when they're going to get prioritized. Yeah. I love it. Virtual high fives to that. I'm excited for you guys. Um, before we wrap, I definitely want to get a little insight into that magical brain of yours in terms of how you keep it trained up and clear and primed and firing, you know, it, in a way that you can see these opportunities and not just see them, but see them, grab them and, and execute on them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's, those are, those are some very different things. There's a lot of ideas starting, uh, circulating out there. Very few are actually executed on. Mm-hmm. So what's, what do your mornings look like? And like, what's the routine look like? Yeah. So the most important and most consistent thing that I've ever done in my, I've had a number of different, and I really like try to organize my and structure my days because I'm naturally unstructured. I have to create the structure and fit into it the same way that you would wake up in a Zen monastery and like the bell goes off. That's what happens in some of them. The bell goes off and you're like straight onto, into the uh, meditation, uh, onto the Zafu, right? Onto Mm -hmm. the mat. And so you have to kind of, you know, you're an animal is kind of like my structure for how I decide what to do. So my morning is always morning pages, which I originally captured like as an idea when I was 16 or 18 Okay. with uh the artist's way a very old book yeah and it's a thousand Cameron. a thousand words freehand every day i used to do it on pen and paper your hand gets really tired now i do them inside of a uh, file and you never look at the file again and okay. so you like light it on fire the objective is just to get it all in 
and get your brain structured. For yeah. a long time, meditation was part of my daily routine. I'm a little more irregular today, okay. but it's a good part of everyone's routine if they want to do it and if they want to prioritize, prioritize like mental clarity. Yeah. And uh, especially, I mean, you. I think what, what you learn as you are trying to do your best and be your best self is that you got to do things in phases. So you actually cannot optimize like everything at once. I think it's a misnomer. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an error to try and do all of that. So for me at the moment that happens, I'm 41 today. I prioritize my body. It's like, this is how much I'm eating. This is what my exercise is, especially if you're, uh, if you're in quarantine for a long time. Yeah. And just like really prioritizing, uh, uh, being strong enough, making sure I have enough muscle mass and making sure that I'm at a certain weight once I'm done. And that becomes automatic, which it has, because I've done that for like two and a half years, three years. Then it's like, what's the next hard thing that I'm dealing with? And I try to do that in like three to six month chunks. Alongside that whole thread has mostly been uh, trying to make sure that I am focused by being structured like GTD style. I use a specific app. Like everything is set up and put on paper so that it's never actually forgotten in my brain. I always assume I will forget this. And so I always go back to the list forever. And I've gone back to the list every day for years and years and years. Okay. So what is this list? What is, or you're using an app for this? I use or? OmniFocus, but okay. lots of people different, use different ones. OmniFocus is, um, lots of smart people I know use OmniFocus, uh, but okay. it's not very well known. And it's only yeah. on iOS. And it's very, it's very sort of connected to GTD, the getting things done system. Okay. The people that I know that use it, I mean, one of them is, I actually cannot say who, what his company was bought by, but it was recently, his company was bought by a very big, successful, recently IPO'd company. Okay. And uh, it's just like people that are very, very effective, what they do is they, they do not think about what they want to do in the moment. They just look at the list. They're just mm. relentlessly like, what's on the list? You're like, I'm distracted. Like, what do I want? Uh, I kind of feel like, look at the list. Yes. And if, it, if, if your system for capturing the list is effective enough, which to me goes through Siri, so it automatically gets pulled in. So I was walking a few moments before I did this, and I was like, hey, Siri, remind me tomorrow that uh, it might, my phone might go off. It did. <laughs> um, and that's going to end up in OmniFocus, which then will be triaged based on day, and then will okay. be triaged based on whether I'm free on, in my calendar or not. And that's how I, I mean, it sounds insane and maybe to some people it is insane, but it, the reason it's insane is because I am deeply unstructured without the system and I am uh, sure that it, it would all kind of fall apart. Well, it seems genius to me because I mean, I, I hear two things happening then. You, first of all, thought comes up, you're capturing that so it's not lost and you're clearing that mental real estate at the same time. You got it. Yeah, very Hence, important. Being able to see the next signs, love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard of OmniFocus. It's, it's a big, it's, it's made by Omni Group. Yeah, okay. I think that's what it is. Makes a bunch of uh, very high quality Mac apps. Okay. You have to pay a lot for it. It's like not cheap. Okay. You know? And uh, I was like, maybe, well, how much is it? Anyway, it's a lot. Okay. And uh, they are relentlessly just kind of like, and I'm really dedicated to that. By the way, in my company, what happened to me is I ran into the CEO of, of superhuman, which is like a very yeah. big email app that like 
it's controversial in some ways and it's like dark mode everything. I ran into the CEO while I was doing an onboarding. He had breather spaces in his building. He had two of them. They'd used it a bunch of times. He said, I'd like to meet you, come into the space. And we did an onboarding. And I was like, midway through, I'm talking to him and I'm thinking about my company at the time, Breather as CEO. I was like, wait, hold on. All you do is people pay you. They use your software. They really like it. And then you just like make their lives better, like just relentlessly like this. And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's basically my life. It was his second company. He had sold his first company to LinkedIn. Okay. And I was like, this is really compelling as a way to live your every day. Because yeah. you just like, I mean, we, we have a set of beta customers at practice, right? It's yeah. like an increasing number of them that are increasingly active. It's actually awesome. And as we, I talk to them every day and I'm like, they're like, Hey, this would be better. I'd be like, great. We got it. And we just incre- keep increasing the list. And these people are like, thank you so much for all the work you do. So it's a very compelling way to live because in my case with coaches, I serve the servants of other people. Because coaches yeah. are servants to others. They're very dedicated during that hour. They are like, I am all about you. And so I get to serve a set of servants to people that are trying to do great things. And I love that. Oh, you can feel that. It's beautiful. I love it. Um, last question for you. If you could write another book right now, or if you mm-hmm. wanted to write another book right now, what would you focus on? Yeah, it's uh, people have asked me this, uh, and I thought about it a lot. Uh, the best book, it not uh, it's it's actually hard to figure it out. Strictly speaking, surely hundreds of thousands, or perhaps even millions of people have at least have flinched on their Kindle and have. It's a very short book, and it's a very it was viral for like a really long time. Okay, and and so is that the it's not on any bestseller list because it wasn't really transmitted in that way. It was Kindle only. It was like this whole thing back in the day. It was like a whole deal with uh, Seth Godin that he had worked out. And I think that I do not need to write another marketing book, uh, even though that was my bread and butter back in the day. So what people ask me is whether I would ever write a sequel to The Flinch. And so... Uh, that's a very daunting thing for me. When I wrote that book, which you can find online, and actually like some people have been asking me for high quality print editions so they can like give them as gifts and so on, which I will do eventually. But uh, if you read it, first of all, uh, it's incredibly polarizing. It has a crazy effect on people when they, it resonates with them. And, uh, and that happens even today when people read it like in 2021, but it also makes it really hard to follow up, like really hard. And so yeah, that's, that's a, a little that's a bit. mental game. It is a mental game. I, it actually is easier to come up with another company and to build another company. It's actually, I mean, this is Crazy, much easier right? than the first time, right? So, yeah. But now you're like, okay, write a better book because Godin actually said this to me. So here we're referring to Seth Godin, who's like a very successful marketing writer. Yeah. He, was like, he was like, you will never, two things he says to me. You can make a million dollars with this, or you can uh, you could you could reach a million people. Which one do you want? I said I want to reach a million people. And then the next thing that he asked me, he said to me, was, "You'll never get an opportunity in your life, Julian, to write another book this visceral ever, because that's not how books traditionally work." Yeah. So everyone else is going to filter you. Everyone else is going to like. They're not going to let another thing like this through. 
Uh, and so, so I don't even know how to do that. But I didn't know how to write that book when I wrote it either. I remember it was very difficult to finally get it to its final state, uh, but yeah. it worked. So that's that's what I'm confronted by. And so the answer okay. is maybe, you know. Okay. And what does that look like? Oh, good Lord knows. I I do not know. Well, it's an interesting place to be. I can I can, I mean I I get Seth's emails every morning. It's it's uh it's the highlight for me. He's he is just a magician with words. And I can when you said that, uh, I could see him saying something like that just in his powerful way, right? Like, oh shit, you're right. <laughs> mm. He probably wrote it on his blog before, like the same day. I was like, wow, he wrote it just for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Well, I could talk to you for hours. This this is super fun. Uh, I hope you had a great time. It's um, it's a wrap, man. It's a wrap for for today's Eureka Thinker Talk. Uh, where can listeners connect with you? Yeah. So uh, I mean, the place where I'm loudest is probably on Twitter, which is twitter.com/slash Julian J U L I E N. Uh, the name, my current company, it's Practice. You can find it practice.do, Donald Edward. Uh, Donald, what a, O, whatever. What's the letter for O? Oxum? I don't know. O. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. And, uh, and uh, you know, I've been just, I've been, I've been around the block. Uh, Google me. I'm, I've been all over the place. Lots of different things to learn about. And if you want to read The Flinch or another one of my books, you can Google them. They're all over the place as well. And uh, reach out if you have any further questions. Love it. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Links are available in our show notes. Remember to subscribe to Eureka if you dig what we're up to. Till next time.